Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. Father, thank you that uh, you're not just at work in this space down here, you're at work in multiple spaces up there and in the kids' ministry. And we pray your Holy Spirit would just, uh, even in this moment, would just begin opening hearts and minds and uh, just, God, help us to receive your truth, help us to become like you. Thank you that you are for us, you're not against us. Thank you that you love us and um, you want to see our lives thrive. Um, as we become more and more like you. Um, so yeah, Lord, we invite you into this space right now to teach us by your Holy Spirit, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, well, if you have just joined us, and this is your first Sunday at Crosspoint, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Uh, we are in week four of a series that we've been doing, and it's called Love Story, and we've been walking through a book of the Bible called the Song of Songs, or is often known as also as the Song of Solomon, and this is a, a, a book of Hebrew poetry. It's a prolonged love story between two people who we've been referring to as Shulamith and Solomon, and uh, it describes their emotional, romantic, intimate, and sometimes physical relationship, um, and it's, it's actually a, a series of a number of poems that are, are working together, and what we've been doing is we've been looking at uh, individual poems, and we've been extracting from them principles uh, for relationships. Now, in our first week, we covered attraction, the week after that, we talked about courtship. Last week was our PG-13 message, and uh, we jumped into the honeymoon suite, and we talked about God-honoring sex. And uh, today, we are going to discover um, that the couple has run into a bit of a snag in their relationship. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with the phrase, the honeymoon is over. Anybody ever heard that phrase before? Yeah, the honeymoon is over. Um, the word honeymoon, it's an interesting word, actually. It's, it's a combination of honey and moon. And what it literally means is sweet month, because the moon, you know, lasts a month, right? That's the typical time period. So honeymoon. So I guess the idea is that, you know, after about a month within your relationship, your marriage, things uh, kind of go south. We're not sure. Um, but for this couple, the days of sweet, ignorant bliss are over, and they have come crashing into reality. So we're going to look at their first big conflict together um, as a couple. And that's our topic for today. The title of today's message, if you haven't caught it, is When Things Get Messy. And we are going to talk about conflict in relationship, particularly in marriage relationship. But what's interesting is the principles we're going to look at, you can extract those and you can apply them to a lot of different relationships that you find yourself in. Uh, by the way, I, I have read, I've discovered that there are uh, essentially four issues that married couples typically conflict over. And I wonder if you can guess what they are, these four issues. Matter of fact, I'm going to give you a chance. I'm going to give you a chance to huddle up with a couple of people around you, and I want you to try and guess what are the four issues that you think married couples typically conflict about. All right, so I'll give you a couple minutes, and then we'll bring you back in. So go ahead. You can talk in church. This is your chance. Go for it.
All right, all right, I'm going to bring you in. Bring you in, bring you in before you start fighting. Okay. Um, all right, so I'm going to tell you the four issues that married couples typically conflict about, and you can see how close you were and how right you are. Here they are. Uh, number one, mother-in-law. Number two, mother-in-law. Number three, mother-in-law. Number four, mother-in-law. Those are the four issues. Okay. Um, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, for the record, my mother-in-law rocks. She is awesome. And she sometimes listens to the podcast. So Linda, if you are listening, just remember that for Christmas, I do want a new MacBook Pro. Yeah. Amen. Okay. Um, Listen, uh, all kidding aside, here are the four issues that uh, married couples often conflict about. Number one, uh, sex, money, families, and number four is division of labor. Division of labor is like, who, who takes the garbage out, who changes the oil, what do you do with the diaper? Okay, those sorts of things. Okay. Uh, so yeah, the, the conflict. Now, what we're going to discover is that in the case of Solomon and Shulamith, they were conflicted about one of these issues. I won't tell you what it is because it will be obvious pretty quickly. We're going to walk through the story. Uh, if you have notes, pull those out. If you have a Bible, uh, Song of Songs, chapter 5. And we're going to start at verse 2 today and we're going to read from there. And we're just going to walk through it one verse at a time. So let's just put verse 2 up on the screen there. Verse 2. Uh, I slept, but my heart was awake. This is Shulamith who's talking. Listen, my beloved is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my darling. My love, my dove, my flawless one. My head is drenched with dew. My hair with the dampness of night. So that's what Solomon says. So, so here's, here's what's going on. Shulamith is in bed. She's, she's dozed off. She's not quite into deep REM sleep, but she's, she's been asleep, okay? Solomon has arrived. He's knocking on her door. Now, it's important to note that in that culture, in that day, husbands and wives slept in separate beds. They did not sleep in the same bedroom together, unless, of course, they were making babies. Okay? So Solomon shows up, and it says that his hair is drenched with dew, the dampness of the night. And this actually gives us a little bit of a clue as to what time of the day it was. Because in that region of the world, heavy dew descended sometime around midnight, particularly in summer. Okay, it's just the way that it, it worked. That's how the, gra the ground was, was watered uh, in that day. So Solomon's coming home really late at night. And it seems like he's on a bit of a mission. Okay, because he begins to woo her with, her wor with his words. And the compliments, if you've noticed, they become progressively more intimate. So Solomon's got something on his mind. Okay, uh, he wants to cuddle. He wants to spoon. Um, maybe he's got fawns on the brains, okay? Thinking about pomegranates, if you are here last week, okay? He's got something on his mind. Now, let's read what Shulamith says in the next verse. She says, I have taken off my robe. Must I put it on again? I have washed my feet. Must I soil them again? What is she saying? She is saying, buddy, it's late, okay? I am in bed already. Makeup is off. Cucumber mask has, is on, right? Flannel uh, pajamas have been applied, okay? And then you notice she uses these rhetorical questions. The use of her rhetorical questions shows that she's actually a little bit miffed with him. And what she seems to be saying is simply this. Where were you two hours ago? I mean, you think you can ignore me all day long, right? And then just show up here uh, at an indecent hour. If you think you can do that, you're, you're living in a bit of a dream world, buddy. Bottom line, not tonight. I've got a headache. Shut down, okay? So how does Solomon respond? Let's read the next verse, verse 4. He says, My beloved thrust his hand 
through the latch opening, my heart began to pound for him. So the door is locked. It's locked on the inside with a key. And Solomon, interestingly, he doesn't shout. He doesn't pound on the door. He doesn't blow up. He just kind of gently reaches his hand through the latch opening. So, so he's persistent, but he's not pushy. And clearly, somehow, this is some sort of a love gesture because of the way it makes her heart pound, right? It makes her, it makes her adrenaline pump. It makes her body temperature rise. Well, that's interesting. Why does him slipping his hand through this latch opening make her heart race? Well, let's read on. Verse 5. I arose to open for my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with flowing myrrh on the handles of the bolt. So here's the thing. She rises up from bed. She reaches out to grab the hold of the latch, only to discover that the door handle is wet with myrrh. What is myrrh? Myrrh was a, was a perfume. It was an oil, a scented oil, right? So she could probably smell the fragrant aroma of this myrrh uh, filling her nostrils. And so we understand right away that this is actually what Solomon was doing when he reached through the latch. It was his way of saying simply this, okay, even though you're mad at me right now, I'm still here, baby. Even though you're mad. Well, let's read what happens next. She says, I opened the door for my beloved, but my beloved had left. He was gone. My heart sank at his departure. I looked for him, but did not find him. I called him, but he did not answer. Okay, so, so by the time that she had finally got out of bed and gone to the door, Solomon had left. We don't know why he left. I mean, maybe, maybe uh, he had a change of heart, or maybe he just wanted to honor her with her decision, okay? Maybe he was playing with her just a little bit. We don't know, but she opens the door. Solomon is nowhere to be found. So let's keep reading. The watchmen found me as they made their rounds in the city. They beat me. They bruised me. They took away my cloak. Those watchmen of the walls... Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, if you find my beloved, what will you tell him? Tell him I am faint with love. Okay, so clearly Shulamith has had a change of heart here. Something has, has totally twisted inside of her in a good way, and she's done an about face, and now she's pursuing Solomon. Now, you might look at verse number seven, and you go, watchmen on the walls, those guys are brutal. What's wrong with those guys, okay? Uh, why in the world would the watchmen on the walls beat up Solomon's wife? That doesn't make any sense. Well, just, just uh, probably the best interpretation of this verse is not to see it as an actual event, but it's probably best to see it as a metaphor. And the watchmen, if you knew the watchmen on the walls, these were the guardians of Jerusalem. They surrounded on the outside of the walls. And, and in many ways, they represented God's justice over his people, God's justice over Jerusalem. So what she could be saying is simply this. She's feeling regret for her behavior. And what's bruised is not her actual body, but her soul is bruised, her pride is beaten down, and she's ashamed of the way that she responded to Solomon. Not saying that he was right, but she's ashamed of her response to Solomon. So end of the story goes this way. She searches everywhere for her beloved. She, she involves the chorus girls in the search. She goes on, she tells them why she thinks Solomon's such a haughty, okay? And in the end, as the story goes, she finds her beloved and everything turns out. They are reconciled and their love continues. That part of the story will probably take about a chapter and a half. We won't have time to unpack it, but I gave you the abridged version this morning. Well, as I said earlier, today I want to talk to you about conflict. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to look at these first uh, verses 2 to 8, and I'd like this story to inform our conversation. 
And I'd like the story that we're looking at today to act as a kind of a springboard uh, into the topic of conflict. So, I want to talk about three realities of conflict. Three realities of conflict. And after we walk through that, in the end, I'd like to talk about how we resolve conflict. So, let's talk about three realities of conflict that we, we pull out of this story. First reality is this. Conflict is inevitable. Conflict is inevitable. Listen, if Solomon and Shulamith, the, the model lovebirds, had conflict, we should not be surprised in our relationships if we too have conflict. I mean, it's understandable why any couple who come together and join their lives together would have conflict. I mean, you are, you are two very different people coming together. You have different values. You have uh, different beliefs, right? Um, you have two very different personalities. And you're coming from two separate families. Because we all know that when you marry somebody, you don't just marry the person. Ultimately, you marry their family. Okay? So when you bring these two meteorites colliding together, you are going to experience conflict in a relationship. And to top it all off, each and every one of us is naturally selfish, right? It's a problem that, that goes back to the beginning of creation. Each and every one of us has a fallen nature, and this fallen nature makes you often act with selfishness rather than selflessness. And so at the end of the day, our natural propensity, our natural tendency is to act with self-interest. And you, you put two people together like that in a relationship, what are you going to have? You're going to have conflict. So for those of you who are, are, are maybe you're not married yet, maybe you're engaged, maybe you're, you're newly dating, uh, and you are falling in love, and you're like, well, not me, uh-uh, I'm never going to have a conflict in my relationship. Well, um, do not be surprised, do not be surprised when you finally experience conflict. It does not mean that there is something wrong with your relationship just because you're conflicting with each other or you're fighting. Probably the reason why you haven't experienced conflict right now is your, your relationship is still kind of at a very superficial level or you're deeply Twitterpated, okay? You're so infatuated with each other, love is blind, you cannot even see the failures and the wrongs in each other. Trust me, trust me when I say there will come a day when you might not consider divorce as an option, but you may consider homicide. So... If you are facing conflict in your relationship right now, I just want to say this. Do not freak out. Here's the thing. A good marriage is not something you find. A good marriage is something that you work for. And if you are going to fight with someone for the rest of your life, you might as well fight with your beloved. Because you will. Conflict is inevitable. Here's the second uh, reality. Conflict arises from unmet expectations. Each of us has our own expectations in marriage. We have, we have a vision of how our marriage should be. We have a vision of how our spouse should be. We have a vision of what I should be getting and receiving out of my relationship. And when these uh, expectations are not met, inevitably, it leads to conflict. So often in our marriage, uh, we conflict over these unmet expectations. So, so Shulamith, what was her unmet expectation? She was expecting Solomon to treat her well, to show, show up at a decent hour right? Solomon, when he came, when he arrived, he had some unmet expectations that he was hoping Shulamith would help provide, right? James chapter 4, uh, verse 1 to 2, here's what it says. It says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. Here he's speaking about Cain and Abel. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. So here's the thing. We have these desires that are battling within us. We have these unmet expectations. And, and sometimes those unmet expectations are completely legitimate. 
They actually are. I mean, you can actually, they are something willing to, to conflict about. But oftentimes we have these unmet expectations that are really just plain old selfishness, covetousness, as, as James would say. So here's the thing. Is when you're in a conflict, it's always important, first thing, to identify what the unmet expectation is. And to ask yourself this question. Is this actually a legitimate expectation? Is this coming from, from a good place, or is this really just me battling with my own selfish desires in a relationship? And I, th- and I think this is really important in, in, in the midst of a conflict to do this. And here's what I recommend. I recommend in that moment that you invite the Holy Spirit into the conversation. Is that you say, God, uh, would you please reveal to me my own heart? Would you show me truth? Would you help me discern what's right and what's wrong in this situation? Would you give me guidance, right? Would you help me to see uh, the conflict objectively? And would you see if it's just, if it's just my own selfishness in, in this moment? I think it, this is an important is that in our relationships with our spouses and in, in all relationships we find ourselves in is that we invite the Holy Spirit into the conflict. And you'll be amazed what happens to the conflict when you ask him to enter into it. A lot of conflict can be diffused simply by stopping to identify what is the unmet expectation here? Talk about the issue. All right, here's the third reality. Conflict should be resolved. Conflict should be resolved. So the issue is not if you have conflict. The issue is what do you do with the conflict? Now, let me give you two warning signs if you are not resolving conflict. These are two warning signs to look for in your relationships. Uh, the first is the absence of conflict, and the second is the permanence of conflict. So if you're in a relationship that has an absence of conflict, in other words, you never fight about anything, um, it could be that you're just in the early stages of relationship bliss. It could be that. Or it could be that somebody in that relationship is overly compliant, and somebody else in that relationship always gets their way. The absence of conflict, okay? Um, so you are avoiding conflict. You are not actually dealing with conflict. The other warning sign, of course, is permanence of conflict, and that also can be a problem because that just means that the problem just keeps coming up again and again and again. What you've done is you've just taken the same conflict, same problem, and you swept it under the rug. You haven't dealt with it. And then, of course, it comes back again, and then you do the same thing. You, you sweep it under the rug. When you sweep too much conflict under the rug, it leads to a bumpy marriage. You'll find yourself tripping down the road. You really will. So if the conflict is still permanent, you have not dealt with the conflict in your relationship. So the issue is not if you have conflict. The issue is what you do with conflict. So here's what the, uh, the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 12 and verse 18. He says this. He says, if it is possible, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. God wants us to resolve conflicts in our relationships. And you have a part to play in this. You have a responsibility in this. So you can't decide what your spouse will do in a conflict, but you can decide what you will do in a conflict. Marriages often fall apart, not because of really bad uh, problems or irreconcilable differences, Marriages often fall apart because people don't know how to resolve conflict in a healthy way. So essentially, the conflicts just continue to pile up until the relationship experiences what you might call incremental degradation. What is incremental degradation? Incremental degradation is when your marriage falls apart one argument at a time, like a shoreline that just slowly gets washed away 
by the sea because you choose not to resolve conflict. Conflict should be resolved. And so, so we need to learn to manage uh, conflict in a healthy way. And so what I want to do for the rest of the message is just suggest three ways to do this, three ways that you can uh, manage uh, conflict in your relationship. Here's the first one. Number one is manage your expectations. Manage your expectations. What do we do with our unmet expectations in relationship? Well, I, I think it's important to talk about these. But I think what, before you talk about unmet expectations in a relationship, that you actually uh, discuss it in view of a larger, more important expectation. So here's what I've discovered. What I've discovered is that when you focus solely on your personal expectation, what you are expecting in the moment, sometimes you often become nearsighted, okay? You, you, you lose sight of the big picture, and you just become focused on this one white-hot issue. And so when you lose, sight of this, uh, you lose sight of this higher expectation, this is when you find yourself in trouble. So this is what I mean by managing your expectations. I like the question that Gary Thomas asks in his book, Sacred Marriage. Here's the question he asks. What if God designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy? Let me ask that again. What if God designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy? It's not that God is against a happy marriage, but the purpose of your marriage isn't to meet all of your personal needs for happiness. Because when that becomes the goal of your marriage, let me, let me just say, it will jeopardize the sustainability of your marriage. Because every time you experience conflict in marriage, it will suck the life out of your marriage if your goal ultimately is your own personal fulfillment and happiness. God's higher purpose for your marriage is, is so much bigger than that. God's higher purpose for your marriage is to make your marriage sacred, to make it holy. He wants you to have a marriage that honors God and glorifies Him. He wants a, a marriage that is filled with sacrificial love, with trust, and with respect. And happiness will be the byproduct of that kind of marriage, but it cannot be the goal of your marriage. See, here's the thing about happiness. In the pursuit of happiness, if happiness is ultimately your pursuit, you actually will never find it. You cannot pursue happiness because happiness is always a byproduct of your pursuit of something else. Think about all the times in your life that you were happy. You were happy because of something else that was happening in your life. Happiness is always a byproduct. And if your marriage, if the goal of your marriage is happiness, your marriage will never be happy. But if the goal of your marriage is sacredness, it's holiness, it's to have a marriage that God always purposed and planned for you to have that glorifies Him, the byproduct of that will bring about delight and joy and happiness. Happiness is always a byproduct of something else. Now, it's, it's not that your needs don't matter. Your needs do matter, and so do the needs of your spouse. It's just that so many couples, in pursuit of having their own needs met, their happiness, they lose sight of the higher purpose of marriage. So when you're in a conflict, it's always important to have this view in mind, in your heart and in your mind. Step back and remember this. What are you ultimately fighting for? Ultimately, you are fighting for your sacred marriage. You are not fighting for your own pursuit of happiness, for your own personal needs, as important as they are. When you do that, this will completely reframe 
the conversations that you have in your marriage. Okay, so that's the first thing. Here's the second. The second is to respond and don't react. To respond and don't react. Oftentimes, you know, you're in a marriage, uh, you're in a conflict with somebody, you get offended, tempers get heated, and what you want to do oftentimes is you just want to react. You want to lash out. You want to give them their due for what they said. Oh, you said that, well, I'm going to say this, okay? And so you find yourself in this embroiled battle with somebody, and sometimes it gets so bad that just horns get locked, like two steer on the top of a mountain, and you can't get out, right? And you're so wrapped up in each other, okay? You got you to gotta deal with the problem before it even gets to that level. And the way you deal with the problem is to respond and don't react. We typically react in, in two different ways. And, 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 you know, I do a lot of premarital counseling, premarital preparation with couples, and I find that they usually lean on one side. And what's interesting is, is most often that you have one of each of these sides. And the, the, the two ways that you typically react in a conflict is you are either a person who's in fight or you're a person who's in flight. So some of you in this room today, you are fighters. When you are uh, faced with a conflict, you just kind of wade in like a barbarian, waving their sword, going berserk. Okay, you're a fighter. Others of you, you are flighters, okay? When you're faced with a conflict, your your gut instinct is, I'm going to run away, or you're just going to turtle up, right, like a turtle, turtle, right, and hide from the conflict. Now, I, I realize there are, there are some people here, you're maybe, you're kind of hybrids, I don't know, you don't fight and you don't flight, you just kind of slap and run, okay? Uh, you do a little bit of both. Now, what's interesting is about Solomon is that he didn't react. He didn't react. He responded. Rather than blowing up and, and, and trying to beat down the door, he gave a very calm response. Like I, like I said before, it was his way of saying just simply this, hey, listen, even though you're mad, and probably justifiably mad, even though you're mad, I want you to know I'm still here. He gave a very calm response. You know, there, there's a moment in every conflict where you can choose. You have a choice where you can build this conflict up or you can break it down. So you can cause the conflict to escalate, or you can cause it to de-escalate. Let's, let's read some wisdom from Proverbs. Proverbs 26 and 21. Here's what it teaches us. As charcoal to embers and as wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome person for kindling strife. So you can choose to build a quarrel, or you can let it die down. And there are some people, they just love to stoke the flames. They just love to be antagonists and cause fights to happen. And the book of Proverbs has a word for that kind of a person. Fool. (laughs) You're a fool if you're that kind of a person who just likes to antagonize and stir up the pot. The wisdom here is don't escalate conflict, de-escalate it. So how do you respond and not react in a conflict? You talk. You don't walk. You don't attack, you talk, and you do it reasonably. You do it objectively. You have an adult conversation, right? You listen, you ask questions, you try to understand the person's point of view. It's not a monologue, it's a dialogue. You talk, you don't walk, and you don't attack. And here's the thing, winning the argument should not be your goal. You are not trying to win here. You are not trying to be right. Remember, 
the higher expectation, the higher expectation, the higher expectation is a sacred marriage. Unhealthy couples fight to win. Healthy couples fight for the marriage. Listen, you can win all of your arguments, but you will lose your marriage. Because here's what happens when one of you wins. When one of you wins, the other person loses. And people who are always right tend to be people who are often alone. So, you need to talk, you need to talk, you need to talk and have dialogue. And it's important that when you talk, you talk with the right posture. So here's the last point I want to say about resolving conflict, is that you respond with grace. You respond with grace. Do you remember how Solomon responded? What did he do? He took myrrh, he took scented oil, and he put it on the latch. So, so rather than retaliating, rather than demanding his rights, he anointed the latch with oil. Is his way of saying, listen, I don't want to win. I want to work this out. And here's the way Paul the Apostle puts it in Romans chapter 12, verse 19. He says, don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. That doesn't mean you're lighting him on fire. It just means that you're, remi- you're showing him through kindness. You're showing him through kindness just how wrong his attitude is, okay? Um, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. See, when somebody attacks us or hurts us, our gut response, our gut response is to attack back. We want revenge. We want to repay them for what they did to us. But here's the thing. Paul's saying this. Revenge is not our job. Revenge is not your job. It's God's job. Revenge, retaliation, repayment. These are responses that will not lead to a happy, healthy marriage. They will destroy your marriage. Um, doctor, I heard this the other day, is Dr. James Dobson, he tells the, the true story about a woman who bought a new dress for a special party. So she bought this new dress, she came home, and an hour before the party, she put the dress on, she says to her husband, hey, could you zip up that zipper in the back for it? And he's like, yeah, I could do that. So he, he walks up, and he's feeling kind of playful, so he zips up the zipper, and then he unzips it, zips it up, zips it down, zip, 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 snap, he breaks the zipper on her dress. She's like, oh, she's so mad. She's infuriated. She's like, oh, I got to put on this ratty old thing. So she puts on the ratty old dress. They go to the party, right? She's mad the whole time. They come back home. Uh, Next day, she goes shopping, and she goes and buys another new dress. She gets out of the car, and as she's walking up the driveway, she sees that the car in the driveway is up on blocks, and she sees her husband's legs sticking out from under the car. He's he's working on something. She's like, I'm going to show him. I'm going to get back at him. So she walks up to him. She grabs the zipper on his pants, and she zips it down. Zip. She zips it up again. Zip. Zip, 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 zip. She walks into the house, and she gets into the house. She gets into the kitchen. There's her husband standing before her. (laughs) He's drinking a glass of juice. (laughs) And all of a sudden, the horror of what she's just done sinks in. And she says to her husband, who... uh, Who's working under the car? And he says, oh, yeah, it's Jeff. He's a neighbor. He's helping out with the car today. He's changing the oil for us. So she, she tells him what's going on, and the horror comes across his. Like, oh, my goodness. So they run outside, and they, they're like, we got to tell Jeff what she was doing and what's going on. we got to explain the whole thing to him. They get outside. They look under the car. Jeff is knocked out cold, okay? 
And you ask the question, why is Jeff knocked out cold? Because he did what any guy would do if somebody touches his zipper. He sat straight up, right? Hit his head on the bottom of the car, knocked himself out cold. Cold. True story. Hey, listen, retaliation, retaliation's not always the best option. And Paul says, hey, listen, rather than seeking revenge, what should we do? What should we do? He says, do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Put oil on the latch. Respond with grace. See, here's the thing. Only two things will change your spouse. Only two things. Either it's the power of God living in them, or it's you living out the gospel in front of them. Retaliation will never change your spouse. Punishing or threatening your spouse will not change them. It might change their behavior, but it will not change their heart. Only grace will change a heart. And the Bible says that God's kindness, God's kindness leads us to repentance. Our repentance does not lead to God's kindness. So when we know and we understand how gracious God is, what happens? It draws us towards repentance. It causes us to have a change of heart. God's grace leads us to a change of heart within us. So it works the same way with your spouse. Kindness from your spouse leads to repentance, to a change of heart. And this is why we witness such a change of heart in Shulamith. It is Solomon's gracious kindness that changes her. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that we shouldn't confront one another with the truth in our relationships. Sometimes the kindest thing we can do in a marriage is point out what's wrong. But it's how you do that that matters. And the question is, are you doing it? With grace. Is there oil on the latch in your loving confrontation? So here's the question. Here's the question. How do you become the kind of person who responds with grace? And the answer is this the only way to respond with grace is to receive grace. To be the kind of person who, who, who can respond with grace, you need to have received God's grace for yourself. Had to, to have had it transform your own heart so that it goes and changes you from the inside out and it becomes the natural overflow in your approach to the world. Now, what do I mean by receive God's grace? Well, I mean, it means that you begin by understanding that God loves you. He absolutely adores you in spite of the sin and all the brokenness and dumb stuff that's gone on in your life. He loves you. And that he loved you so much that he gave up his life for you. So that your sins could be forgiven when you put your complete trust in him. That no matter how stupid, how wrong, how foolish you are, God's posture towards you is always grace. And when you have received that grace personally and you have lived in it, then you can therefore go and, and respond with grace. So here's the thing. It means that in a conflict, you need to see yourself as a sinner first and a sinned against second. Sinner first, sinned against second. And when you get these backwards, it's very difficult to respond with God's grace because you've got your wires crossed. You know, you, you sinned against me. Well, I'll show you, right? And as opposed to, hey, I, I'm, a, I'm a sinner. Jesus has forgiven me. He has rescued me, and he's shown me grace. And because of that, I therefore can show you grace. Sinner first, sin against second. When you understand God's grace-filled response to your sin, it, it, will, it will help you respond with grace to your spouse's sin, to your spouse's failure. Well, let me close with this. Friends, marriage is a challenge. 
It's difficult. It's a challenge. It's a beautiful challenge. And for those who are married couples here this morning, I just want to ask you this question. Are you willing to be on the same page with your spouse in the pursuit of a sacred marriage, a marriage that ultimately honors and glorifies God? Are you willing to let that be the highest purpose, the highest uh, goal of your married life together? Are you willing to do that? And let me just say, that that's, that's a difficult goal. That's something difficult to obtain. And in your own strength, you will find yourself not capable of doing it. But there's grace for you. And God's promises, as Jesus promised was to his disciples, as I will be with you always to the very end of the age. His divine power has given you everything you need for life and godliness. And if you will trust in God and seek him and say, God, I need you to help me in my marriage, God's gracious response will be, I'm right there with you. And so the ability to live this out, to live out this vision of a sacred marriage that glorifies God is possible. And as you surrender to the Lord and say, Lord, I want to invite you into our marriage and I want to invite you in so that we can live out this dream, it will happen. Now, I'm going to invite the band to come and we're going to sing a final song together that just is a proclamation, a declaration of what we have just said. Um, but I want us to all stand together and I'm going to pray and I want to invite you to pray with me. Um, I want to pray for our married couples who are among us and all couples here who are, who are in relationship. Lord Jesus, we just acknowledge today that we need your grace. We thank you that your posture towards us is, is love and kindness and that you want to change us and transform us. And we acknowledge that this is only possible if we are willing to surrender ourselves to you and give you full control of our lives. And so, God, I, I pray for all of our, our, our couples here today. I pray that their lives would be surrendered before you and that as they do, Lord, that you would come in and you would transform them. You would change their marriages. You would make them into just these beautiful representations of your relationship with us. And God, this morning... Uh, I, I know that there are some marriages here who are maybe experiencing some unresolved conflict. And I pray, Lord, that they would be able to exercise truth-telling, forgiveness, and reconciliation this morning. And I know that you can do this. And I know, God, that it is possible for those who are surrendered to you. And so I pray that their lives would be surrendered to each other and surrendered to you. And that, Lord, you would make a beautiful thing out of a difficult situation. And so we commit them to you. Lord, we need you. We need you for every aspect of this journey of discipleship, of living transformed lives. So we declare that together this morning. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected 
with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.